welcome to Becoming Whole podcast. I am your host, Claire Bradshaw, a life coach and a yoga and meditation teacher. Join me as I explore with my guests what it means to live a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come together into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values and the fullest expression of who we are. So if you're a seeker, a feeler and someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's grow together. Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of the Becoming Whole podcast with Claire. And today I have a really exciting episode for you. I interviewed Octavio Salvado, who is the co-founder and co-owner and principal teacher at The Practice in Changu, Bali. He's an incredible teacher and a teacher's teacher, and he shares the teachings of Hatha Tantric Yoga, a spiritual science that's designed to awaken us to our highest potential. Ottavio teaches lineage-based yoga, handed down from teacher to student for thousands of years in an unbroken chain of personal transmission. Ottavio says... I believe that when practiced correctly and with the right guidance and attitude, the potential for yoga to deeply transform all aspects of our lives is limitless. I so love this. I mean, Octavio really, really does, um, you know, walk the talk with the teachings. And I first met him um, about three years ago when I practiced his classes um, in Changu and Bali and was totally blown away by how I felt during the classes and afterwards. His knowledge and the way that he guides his classes is masterful and I found that they truly deliver to his message to assist in awakening. I felt more connected and more aware following his classes. So last month I had the absolute privilege of attending Otavio's Hatha Tantric 50 hour training as I continue my further studies and it's helped me to understand the teachings from a fully embodied and felt experience. And of course while I was there I couldn't pass on the opportunity to interview Octavio. So if you're a yogi and you're interested in delving into the deeper spiritual teachings then this episode is a must listen for you. Before we get to the episode though, I've got a few things to let you know. I'm an advocate and an avid watcher of the documentaries on FMTV, which is, if you're not um, familiar with it, it's like Netflix for health and wellness. And they're releasing Transcendence, which is a doco series that explores the current state of our physical, emotional and mental health in a captivating way. It contains research and interviews with top doctors and thought leaders. And they have five videos that they're tackling topics like the gut and immune system, um, autoimmune disease, how to work with stress and anxiety, overcoming self-limiting beliefs and uncovering your true passion and more. So what I'll do is I'll pop the link in the show notes if that interests you so you can sign up for the free video series and it's going to be released on July the 1st. Um, I personally absolutely love this um, video series um, and it really coincides with the type of thing that I work with clients on. So if you're interested in learning more about some of these topics and delving into kind of, you know, how things look in your own life, then this is an amazing place to start off and best of all is free. Also, if you find that your days, weeks and months go by in a bit of a daze, or if you find that you are easily agitated by people and situations in your day-to-day, then it could be time to begin a mindful morning practice. 
If this is you, then I have something that could help you. I've created a sacred mornings pack that includes a yoga class from me, a breathing meditation and journal prompts to help you begin your morning practice. I know personally that showing up to myself from a centered place every morning by spending some time to calm my mind, moving my body and creating some space has had a profound impact on how I feel throughout the day. So if this is of interest to you or someone that you know, I'll pop the link in the show notes so that you can download your free pack and let me know how you go. I love to hear how people are progressing, how they feel as they undertake new practices that best support them. Um, You can find me best on Instagram. So that's underscore Claire Bradshaw underscore. Um, That's my handle. And um, yeah, let me know how you go. All right, let's get straight to the episode now. Hey, Octavio, so great to have you on the show. Hello, hello. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's get stuck into talking about Tantra. So Tantra's had... Straight in. Straight in. Let's just go there. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So Tantra has had a bit of a bad rap, and I'd love you to explain and just go into what Tantra is and what it isn't. Oh, man. That's a long-ass conversation, Claire. Let's see if we can distill it into a few essentials. Yes. Um, all right, so Tantra, I, you know, like I, I, I mentioned to you a couple of days ago, it's, um, it's, it's my own teacher's advice. My teacher said to me to... Um, practice being more tolerant and uh, more accepting and try to be a little bit less of a yoga vigilante. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to kind of focus on what Tantra is mm-hmm. rather than maybe, I'm sure it was, it's going to go there for sure. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about that at some point. But let me just um, talk about what Tantra is and then we'll, we'll refine it down a little bit. So Tantra is... Um, a couple of things. Tantra is, uh, first and foremost, it is a f- uh, extremely life-affirming philosophy that essentially um, sees and recognizes the, um, the world as sacred, as um, an expression of the divine, and all of life um, as pieces of that um, you know, pieces of the divine, nothing, nothing excluded. And then on the other hand, so that's the first part. The second part of Tantra is a very precise set of methods and practices that allow us to uh, embody the essence of the worldview, to really ex- experience um, the, the philosophy in a personal way, not in a conceptual or academic way, um, but in an embodied way to really like uh, live the philosophy, um, and you know those two things they share the, the common goal of dissolving any walls or any parameters that are existing between the the spiritual and the mundane aspects of our life. So I think um, you know there's this sort of idea that there's life, and that's about um, 22.5 hours out of the day and then 90 minutes of the day is our spiritual practice mm. 
And then when we step off the mat, you know, it's just back into life. Mm-hmm. And Tantra says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what about the other 22 and a half hours? Yeah. Can't we find a way to make them sacred and um, bring uh, the, the highest potential that exists within any given situation forward so we can experience the highest potential that exists within ourselves? Mm. So that's really Tantra. Tantra is a way of, um, of in- inviting the best of ourself into every situation and finding the best of every situation in every situation. Yeah, yeah. so it's not like, you know, yoga is something that you do um, for an hour per day and then life just happens. It's the weaving. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so that's one of the actual um, definitions of um, of tantra it means to weave to to weave really to weave the, the essence of our practice into everyday life so there there is no separation um, that's one of my favorite um, definitions of tantra there's um, there's a couple more which are really cool um, tan means to expand and pra one of the meanings is beyond limits Limitless, so limitless expansion. Um, so, how can I expand my capacity in every single aspect of my life? My capacity as a father, as a husband, as a yogi, as a business owner, as a friend, as a meditator, as a everything. Yeah. You know, like mm. keep looking for those ways that we can bring more of the soul's genius into everything that we do. Mm. So that's such a, such a great, um, great definition of Tantra. And then I'll, I'll just mention one more because it might segue into um, what I said I wouldn't talk about. Let's see. Um, the, other, the other translation of Tra, uh, the end, the end uh, part of Tantra, means to protect uh, in the same way that mantra is uh, sort of like a mind. Man comes from manas, root word for mind. And tra, to protect the mind, um, is mantra. Whereas tantra is to expand in a protected way. And what, what offers uh, expansion uh, through tantra, its protection, is the science, is the precise methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I love about Tantra, that, you know, if we practice, you know, these asanas in this way and add that breath with this kriya and this mantra, we will get that result 100% of the time. If we're, mm-hmm. if we're practicing it consciously and with awareness and there's no, you know, major external factors um, that are blocking the, the, the flow of that energy, the momentum of that energy, then we can bank on that result. It's a bankable system that's been time-tested and proven for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. So. so it has that scientific basis to it. It's not this kind of, you know, spiritual thing that feels almost un- unobtainable. It has a structure. It has a process. Yeah, absolutely. Everything from the, um, everything from every syllable of every mantra to every minute um sub-move within an asana mm. has something that we can correlate to a, like a, a Western understanding of science. It's just, um, you know, we just need to marry these two together. Yeah. And I think more and more that's, that's what's happening with this, sort of this leap in the quantum sciences and 
you know, um, healthcare professionals and, um, you know, Western doctors starting to get a little bit more interested in the, the Eastern side of things. And certainly, you know, the East is getting very, very interested in the Western side of things. So I feel like there is this, um, there is this weaving, yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah, no, exactly. It's so, so amazing. And as a result, a lot more people are starting to come on board yeah. because they're now seeing the scientific evidence yes. that backs it up for the people who, who need that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, all the, you know, all of the, the brain science studies yeah. on what happens to the frontal cortex when people meditate. And yeah. it's just some, um, you know, really, really extraordinary information that's coming out these days. Yeah, so that's so exciting. Good. So good. So let's talk about like the other side. I know you didn't want to talk about it. Let's just go there just real quick. And yeah. um, so, you know, Tantra, you know, has, you know, had this reputation of, you know, the, the sexual positions and all of that. Can you talk a little bit to that? And something you mentioned in our training was mm. this incredible temple that you went to. And I'd love you to explain that as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, it's um, and it just speaks volumes to um, to this this conversation around uh, what what tantra is and what what it isn't. It's the the Sri Vidya um, uh, temples in uh, Kajuraho in central uh, north central India, uh, which was a stronghold for Sri Vidya tantra, which is what we're um, teaching and practicing here, and. These temples are notable because of the the um, the erotic carvings that surround the, the 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 external walls of the temples, and it's you know there's a lot of um, a, a lot of super erotic, borderline sort of pornographic mm-hmm. stuff on the outer walls. Um, interestingly, if you climb off the temple platform and go sort of around the back onto the, the big block of concrete and stone that it's sitting on, you see carvings of war. Mm, right. And, um, you know, as we sort of go up, um, higher and higher into the temple complex, um, on the outside even, uh, things take on less of a material form. Like all of the carvings disappear and they become geometric patterns, Mm -hmm. which is really, really interesting. Um, But essentially, the, um, (laughs) even the, the, the temple guides, like the, the, the sanctioned tourist guides at these temples are, are telling visitors that, these temples belong to a medieval sex cult, and the reason that these carvings of these people in sexual positions is on the is on the temples is uh, because it, this is what they were up to at the time. This is what tantra is. So um, we can kind of, as Westerners, be forgiven if even the Indian um, uh, sort of tourist guides are missing, misinforming yeah. the masses. Um, because the you know the lineage understanding of these temples is that you know what what those walls those outer walls represent is what's called the the trilokya mohana, and we can see this in the image of the Sri Chakra or the Sri Yantra as those four outer gates, and the the, the trilokya mohana means the seduction of the material world or the seduction of the the, the peripheral world. Um, and so all of the things that keep us so engaged with 
material life that we even forget to go inside and look what's actually within the temple. We forget to look within because we're so enchanted by power and by sex and by pleasure and um, you know wealth and image and beauty. All of these things are really skillfully um, presented on those outer walls. And so what we have is like, you know, the, the, the 90% of tourists that go there, you know, might not ever go into the inner sanctum or if they do, they uh, they just go in there and it's dark and weird and there's no sexual positions on the wall. So they just come back out and keep taking photos of the interesting So they stay stuff. on the outside. They stay on so the outside. So it's a perfect kind of almost representation. It's of, the perfect yeah, living metaphor. It's amazing. like so smart. Yeah. And so instead of going into the into the darkness, into the deep, um, of the inner the inner chambers, we just keep on circulating around the periphery of life without ever getting deep. And uh, another cool part about those temples is that the inside is dark. Mm -hmm. The inside is um, a little bit um, eerie almost. And that is because, um, you know, within those temples, they are designed to hold fire. And so once the inner fire is lit... That is when we see and receive what's really on the inside. And usually that will be um, expressed through a, a beautiful you know, uh, deity with diamond eyes or a big yantra on the wall or a, or a, a crystal shivalingam re- representing pure consciousness or you know, something just extraordinary, mm-hmm. something beautiful to represent that part of ourself that is beautiful and is extraordinary and is pure consciousness that is only accessible on the inside once we've stopped obsessing about all of the stuff on the outside. Mm. And, you know, the the tantrikas didn't say deny that. They just said without the knowledge and the connection to that that inner shrewdness, that inner auspiciousness, that the outside becomes a distraction. Mm -hmm. It's only when we're deeply connected to the inner that we can fully celebrate the outer. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And like it really, when you explained that on the training, it was like, wow, that is just such a great way to visualize it and really get, you know, capture the essence of what you were talking about. So I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Great. And and so you you just touched on it. So, you know, when we enter in and then, you know, we get the fire. Mm. So talk about how that then relates to the classes that you run at the practice mm-hmm. and the actual physical and, you know, the, the, the asana mixed with the pranayama, the mantra infused through the class yeah. and then, you know, ultimately then leading mm-hmm. to the meditation. How does this practice, mm-hmm. you know, work and how does it take us to this place? I know that's quite a big question. <laughs> it is quite a big question. Um, I'll start by saying... Uh, What's really, really cool is that, you know, the very first words of the the Rig Veda, um, which is the oldest um, text on the planet, I believe, certainly the oldest spiritual text, um, you know, four or five thousand years old. The first words, and they don't mess around with first words. It's like, if, if... if you get that space in the text, then you you know it's it's got some weight to it. Yeah, it's got some it goes straight in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the first words are Om Agni Mile, 
which means um, Om Agni Milen, it means I meditate on the fire. Mm. It's the fire that allows me to move to the front of the queue, which is, a you know, mm. a, the, the fire allows me to expand and move forwards. And so what we're doing here um, is honoring a stream within Sri Vidya that looks at the internal cultivation of fire. It's like an internal expression of the external fire worship that's done in a traditional Havan Kund or, you know, Agni Hotra, this sort of thing, where there's the um, priest and there's the, um, the the duni or the fire pit and then there's the, the, the wood that goes in and the ghee that goes in and the um, mantras that go into the fire. So that is one way of purifying karma. Mm-hmm. And then... And that, that's an extremely valid way to do it. And then there's another way that we can do it where we take that ritual inside and we become the priest or we become the priestess and we use specific methods to cultivate uh, what's called Bhuta Agni, which means the fire that consumes the ghosts of the past mm-hmm. or the fire that consumes our karma. Mm-hmm. And there's precise methodology for that. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's methodology that, that most people um, today aren't aware of or, or interested in practicing because it's not sexy, it's not fancy, it's not fun. Mm. Um, and it's not something that you can Google. It's not something that you can even read in a book. It's in some of the, the key, you know, tantric texts like the, the, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika and some of these, but in very kind of vague ways, um, you know, the, the, the moon and the sun must merge to birth the fire, like this kind of cryptic mm. talk. So um, if, we, if we're not connected to a, a, a living tradition or lineage that really understands the, the, the encrypted meaning of these, uh, these, these codes, then there's no way we're going to get the practices. And that's such a shame because this is really what Hatha Yoga is about. Ha and Ta. You know, we know that. Most of us know that. Sun and moon. But then you bring those two words together, Hatha, and it means to strike or to force. And so what we're doing is we're, we're infusing or we're striking Prana Shakti, the sun, with Manas Shakti, the moon, in, into a, um, in towards the navel where there is a pre-existing digestive fire called Jatara Agni. And through this alchemical fusion of two pranic forces or two energetic forces within the body, we, um, we expand that fire's reach into the deeper layers of our psyche, mm-hmm. to the subtle body, to the chakras, to the nadis. And we start to liberate um, karmic bonds that have been there for, you know, potentially lifetimes and lifetimes, these programs that keep us stuck and keep us limited and keep us afraid and, and keep us, you know, tripping over ourselves and stop us from thriving and living a just a juicy, extraordinary, um, fully alive existence. So this is the fire that yoga is all about. Mm. But it's precise. It doesn't happen through turning up the thermostat in a room. It doesn't happen through, you know, pumping the body through, you know, vinyasa after vinyasa and heating the muscles. It's a, it's an internal 
um, psychic, subtle heat yeah. that's born of prana, mm. born of mind. Yeah, beautiful. And, you know, in, when you're talking about karma, Mm. And you're talking about, you know, the, this kind of burning up of karma. How, you know, and, you know, in terms of your own experience, how has that shown up through turning up, doing the practices on a daily basis? How has then that come up in your life for you then to recognize that that's what's been happening? Um, you know, I think um, life in itself is a, a fire ceremony. Mm. You know, life in itself is a fire ceremony that will dish out to us our karma at the um, prescribed rate. Mm. And what we're doing through practice is we are taking up the role of the priest or the priestess mm -hmm. and we are speeding up the karmic process and bringing more of our stuff into the light more quickly. Mm -hmm. And... Again, this comes back to the conversation around the protection offered through the methodology. And the first stage of, of, of this path is, um, it's called moon practice or, or chandra sadhana. And this is all about stabilizing the mind, making the mind more grounded and more stable. And that's a precise set of methods. And they're methods which aren't usually focused on so much these days. It includes um, holding poses for a long time, focusing on the exhalation, typically forward folds and twists. So not very exciting poses, but they are poses that slow down the peripheral aspects of the mind, the manas, the chitta, start to dissolve that ahamkara piece, the ego, and you know allows our discernment and that part of the mind that is you know, awake and aware to get really, really crystal clear and, and, and focused yeah. so that when we get to these later stages of practice and we start cultivating this fire that brings our stuff up, we are able to mentally deal with that, emotionally mm -hmm. deal with that so that we don't fly off the handle as, as soon as we're presented with some kind of obstacle either in practice or life. Yeah. Because if we speed up things... It's going to come at us from everywhere, not just on the mat. It's also going to, you know, speed up karma in, in all dimensions. And so we need to bring our big game to that. Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is by stable mind, yeah. meditate. So, you know, one of the, the key messages that we, we, we have here is yoga is meditation. Asana is preparation. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, want to really experience the, the, the full depths of this practice, meditation, that's the key. Yeah. Must meditate. If we're going to start the fire, we've got to be able to meet mm -hmm. it and deal with it without falling to pieces. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You see, so I um, the training that I did was Ashtanga in, in, in India. Yeah. Now, I've never done Ashtanga before, and my body wasn't really prepped for it either, so I, did, I threw myself into a fire, yes. essentially, and... Um, you know, the practice is incredibly strong. You know, it was a two-hour practice every mm. morning. And um, I found that after one week, my stuff was coming up pretty quick. Yeah. 
and um, <laughs> but it was it actually came up in a really beautiful way yes. you know and it was memories from the past of mm. what I'd said to someone or what someone had said to me and but it was presented in a beautiful way so it wasn't um, ego kind of like oh you did that you're bad or did that it was just yeah. it was just presented yes. kind of as an awareness Beautiful. Um, and it was it was a beautiful thing and yes. so I experienced that was the start yes when I started to realize wow yeah. you know this this practice of breath mm. with holding postures mixed with you know an hour of pranayama a day an hour of meditation a day things started to come to the surface and um, yeah and it was just it was amazing but I can see the absolute benefit mm -hmm. of starting mm -hmm. with the moon because yes. without that yes. it you know without that stability without that structure it's like a house you know you have to build the foundations yes. before building anything on top so um, and I, I love that about the practice because it is that kind of step mm. by step yes having said that mm. it's not uncommon and nor is it um, problematic to start with a really physical practice myself um, it was certainly that way to an extent and mm. certainly a, you know, a lot of the, the the greatest yogis that I know they started very very physically with very strong practices um, and I think that can be beneficial mm. to start to shift some of the peripheral karma, mm. some of the maybe stuff that we've accumulated over the previous weeks, the previous months, the previous years, and that's great. And then it gets to a point where those kinds of practices have burned up all of the karma that they can. Mm. At that point, as we have become more refined, we must then refine our practices and take it to that subtler level. And it doesn't mean that we stop doing asana, but maybe it means we start doing a little bit less asana or we hold the poses, we do less asana, hold the poses for longer mm -hmm. and we start infusing the postures with bandha, with mudra, with mantra as a way to um, keep the transformative essence of practice moving but now we're transforming subtler and subtler layers mm. the the big dynamic asana practices they transform um quite a, a dense uh, dense karma we could say yeah. and then the subtler practices are designed to transform the the subtler mm. stuff at those deeper levels so as we, I think it's great for, for people just to get a foot in the door, just to start mm -hmm. and um, just get moving. Yeah. Transform a little bit, get moving, and but then be ready as we as we go deeper into it to have this moment where it's like, okay, now I need, as, as I go deeper, now I need to start mastering my mind. Mm -hmm. Now I need to get subtle, yeah. experience my prana more and more and more, master that, and then cultivate the fire. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I definitely experienced, I think it was, yeah, those kind of denser layers that, you know, things started to move and to shift. And, yes. and from that, and the various other things that happened, that was like, when I was like, wow, 
this practice is so powerful. Absolutely. And starting to see yourself almost from afar. Yeah. Without being involved in the mind chatter around it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, very, very powerful. Okay, so let's talk about the chakras. Again, another huge subject. We'll probably talk about this stuff for like five hours. Actually, the training went for 50 hours. Right, exactly. At least 50 hours we could talk. Yeah, so, you know, I've personally worked with the chakra system for a number of years, and it's really helped me, I think, from a um, a psycho-spiritual perspective and then using asana and pranayama to help with that. Yeah. Um, Can you explain? So there may be people on the... um, you know, listening to this podcast and they've never heard of the, a chakra. It's like, what is a chakra? And, um, you know, how would it be of benefit in my day-to-day life to know more about this? Mm. Okay. So, um, as we were talking about at the very, very beginning, uh, there's nothing mystical in, in, uh, in, in the science of yoga. There's, there's ways that we can understand it through our own Western lens. Um, when we, one of the ways that we can talk about the chakras is as universal forces that govern and guide everything in creation. Um, the yogis understood that there are nine fundamental forces in nature that keep everything connected and um, these forces can be found in everything, whether they are tangible things like a piece of wood or subtle expressions of life like time. Mm. That everything is simply a combination of these nine forces. For example, the first force, which we can connect to the first chakra, is the force of gravity. So we know about gravity on a universal level, but it also works on an individual subtle level. And that force, it has a a pulling point at the base of the spine. That pulling point is determined um, through geometry. So the geometry of the energetic pathways moving into the spine at that level and the frequency that that geometry creates creates this field of awakened prana Mm. that has the quality of gravity. Mm. That's why we speak about the first chakra as being, you know, that grounding force. Another force in nature is covalence. This is the second force. This is when geometry or or energetic lines come together uh, at 60 degree angles. So at this level of the spine, there are six energetic pathways coming in at 60 degree angles, creating this energetic field um, that has a a vibrational resonance um, that in science we would call covalence or or cohesion, which is the force that uh, creates temporary bonds between individual units. So it's like the energy of the first chakra, it creates... um, it creates individual things, like an individual atom or an individual person. And then through vibrational resonance set by the second chakra, those two things come together to share in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then at the level of the third chakra, we have the, the universal force of combustion, which liberates those units from that covalent bond. Think about putting a Bunsen burner under a test tube with water and the steam that comes up out the top as those, you know, the, the, the hydrogen and the oxygen get liberated from one another. 
from one another. It's the covalence of the second chakra that keeps those two um, atoms together, mm-hmm. the two hydrogens and the one oxygen. So everything that we talk about in terms of the chakras can be understood scientifically. Yeah. Now it can also they can also be understood psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that, that um, my teacher, Yoga Rupa, talks about um, extensively is this developmental understanding of the chakras. That, you know, when we're born, we come into this life and between the, um, between the, the ages of, uh, say, birth and 1 or 1.5, we are purely governed by this um, this drive of survival, mm. and this also speaks to the um, this energy of I am one single unit. Yeah. You know, it's it's just me here, and I've got to survive. So we're kind of running running on that. Um, you know, you hear a, a, a young child crying, and it's a, it really often sounds like a cry for life or death. Yeah. It's like they don't know if they're going to get fed or not. They mm. don't know where the hell they are. Mm. And then at, at around, around age maybe one and a half, something like that, the, the survival mechanism, it softens because we start to understand that we're being taken care of. Someone's looking after us, putting clothes on us, keeping us warm, keeping us fed. And so the, the development moves towards the th- looking at the things that we like and the things that we don't like. And so we start to develop this relationship with the external world. And now this is that covalence thing where we start to draw towards us the things that we want mm. and repel the things that we don't want. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you look at the, the tantrum that a three-year-old will throw, it's mm. not the same tantrum that a three-month-old yeah. child will throw. Yeah. One is founded in a fear of survival. Mm. And one is usually just a complaint that I'm not getting what I want. Yes, so true. So that's yeah. that's that's the developmental difference. Mm-hmm. This is the second chakra. And then, you know, depending on the culture, maybe around three or um, something like that, the third stage kicks in. And this is really uh, when uh, we start to establish a, a very strong sense of personal identity and we start really caring what other people think of us mm-hmm. and that starts to inform our own um, impression of ourself. So this is the really the, the formulation of what they call in terms of the glaciers, the asmita or the kind of false identity which is just um, which we, we do just from gathering the information then from what's around us yeah. and, and forming it into this kind of like well I guess I'm, I'm, I'm this person's child, I'm in this culture, I live in this family, we have this much money, I guess this is who I am. You know, when we start to try and um, claim some self-control and some power over our own choices, identity, and what uh, Yoga Rupa says is that this stage lasts from, you know, from three or four years old up until 10, up until 20, up until 30, (laughs) up until 40, you know, Mm. 50, and that unless we take control of our lives and our minds and our actions, that we will just continue to perpetuate the behavior of these lower three chakras. 
which really relate to the reptilian part of the mind. Mm. You know, which it's, it's, it, it just, um, it circles around, it's like circling around the outer temple complex, yeah. you know? It's yeah. like the same so thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. We just keep on looking mm. for that same stuff, pleasure and power and stuff. But we're looking in the wrong places. Exactly. Yeah. So the idea is that if we want to move out of that cycle, yeah. move from the darkness to the light, then we must practice. Sometimes we will have a life-altering experience, maybe a birth or a death or something that rocks our worldview and it shifts consciousness and prana up into the heart center, one of the higher centers, for a temporary amount of time. It might be a minute, it might be a day, it might be a month or a year. But if we haven't done the practices to stabilize this awakened energy there, then the gravity of the lower three centers, just the momentum of the lower mind will just pull our energy, our awareness back into that cycle around mm. the outer walls of the temple. Mm. So we may have almost like an awakening through yes. the heart, yes. but then drop back down into the same cycles. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm probably going to piss a few people off by saying this, but that's one of the things about, you know, working with plant medicine and things like that, it can give you a great glimpse, but it's not mm. going to stabilize kundalini in the higher centers. Yeah. You have to earn that. Yes. You have to. Mm. Otherwise, yeah, you get the glimpse, and that's great. But eventually, the gravity of your karma is just going to pull you back down into old patterns. Mm. So for sure, do it. Get the glimpse, but meditation is better. Then do the work. Do the work. Do the work. Yes. Yeah, there's no quick fix. No shortcuts <laughs> yeah, to samadhi. Yeah. That is for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so then through the practices, then we start to, you know, shift some of this stuff. And then once we have grounded, stabilized, and then we start to shift this stuff, then what happens from there? Then, you know, once we have um, cultivated fire in one way or another, whether it's through tantric hatha yoga, whether it's through external fire ritual, or whether it's through like jnana yoga, which is cultivating the fire of pure intelligence. And we just do deep level introspection on our own minds and light up the darkness in that way. Yes. Then energy, consciousness, awakened kundalini can move up through that center channel because now there's less Tamas, there's less weight weighing it down. I mean, that's why Kundalini is coiled. It's not asleep. We're squashing it. Mm -hmm. We're squashing it with the weight of our tamas, the weight of our forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. Once we liberate some of that weight, she naturally just spirals up the spine, pierces the heart. That's she's a got whole, space. She's got space <laughs> yeah. to breathe. Yeah. Get off me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. We're sitting on Kundalini. Mm. <laughs> so true, so true. I love how you explain things because what I found on the training was that, you know, I touched all of these pieces, but I didn't really fully grasp it and I didn't understand how all the pieces of the puzzle came together. And you have this amazing knack of being able to explain these really complex 
you know, well, seemingly complex things, and you're able to distill it into a way that really makes sense and really makes it um, accessible. So thank you so much. Thank, thank my teachers for that. Yeah. That's them. Yeah, but it's coming through you as well. So, <laughs> um, so something that I ask everyone um, yeah. towards the end of uh, a podcast interview is, yes. this podcast is called Becoming Whole. Mm-hmm. What does becoming whole mean to you? Oh man, that's Tantra. Yeah, that, that's another way of saying Tantra. That's what it is, becoming whole. It's um, it's it's bringing the, the 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 spark of our soul into everything that we do. That's Tantra. That's wholeness. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Octavio. It's been, I've had the most amazing week doing your training and then also this podcast interview. So thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. It's been great to have you here and an honor to be on your show. Fantastic. And I will put all of the links to the practice and, um, you know, Octavio's details um, on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. that would be really cool. Um, And, um, yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do share it with friends you think may benefit from the message. And if you'd like to rate the show and give it a review on iTunes, not only would I be so happy, but this will also help increase the show's visibility so that more people can benefit from the messages. I would love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore Claire with an I and an E Bradshaw underscore. I so totally can't wait to connect with you soon. Have a beautiful day.